kind of feel like a football player sitting in the tunnel waiting for music to be done. Woo! Oh, here it's here. It was kind of a cool, cool beginning. Uh, for those who missed the 9 o'clock service, we auctioned off Stan and Balsy's keys that he left here last Sunday. Uh, so we're pretty excited about that. Uh, and, uh, his wife's like, we got to figure out some way of making sure he doesn't forget his keys again. He's borrowing my keys. And, uh, so we did that this morning. We're pretty excited. Didn't get much money for it. <laughs> Says something about the truck you guys. Um, also, just, uh, isn't, isn't it great blowing up here? You know, he comes out as a player. Started having him singing, and now he's leading songs. And I, didn't, I didn't step in for that song because in the 9 o'clock hour, they just wrecked me. I was blowing my eyes out uh, to the point that I, I couldn't even get my message really going. I stood here the entire time at the 9 o'clock service because I'm stateful. Anyways, well, we're kicking off our new series. Uh, it's called Faith That Walks. Uh, it's in the James. And uh, hopefully you've been reading through James and sent out an email to members of regular attenders to be doing that. So if you guys are reading through James, it'll just help you that much more if you're in James while we're teaching through James. Um, and you can think about during the week. After all, I'm teaching, so it may not make any sense unless you're reading. Um, so how do we know that somebody is physically alive? They're what? They're breathing. They're breathing. They're walking? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, when like I know all of you guys are physically alive. Because you walked in this morning, you're sitting here. This isn't profound information. I'm just saying, I can tell you guys are alive because you're physically walking, you're doing things. Well, the same is true for us who are spiritually alive. Those of us who place our faith in Christ and have been given spiritual life through that relationship with God, that will be shown in how we walk, how we live life, what we do. If you truly place your faith in Christ, then you'll walk around doing life God's way. Another way to put it is that our, our works don't save us, but our works show whether we're saved or not. And so people can say what they want to say, they can claim what they want to claim, but everyone will live out what they truly believe. And that includes us who have placed our faith in Christ. So that's what James is all about, a faith that walks, a faith that works itself out in our lives and how we respond to life. And so, we're going to be dealing with issues such as, like today, trials. What do we do when the cops come? And we, no, wrong <laughs> Sorry, wrong trial. Trials, things that come our way, difficulties. Um, we're going to be looking at things such as temptation, when we're tempted by our own sin. How do we respond to living out God's word? We read God's word, God tells us to do something, and living that out. Our own words. How do our, how's our faith shown in the words we use, the way we speak and talk to people? Even goal setting. How do we plan in our lives? And then personal issues. We always have personal trials that come our way. So it's an extremely practical letter. It's going to be challenging for us. It'll be convicting for us. I had to grab another Bible this morning because I've actually torn it out of my personal Bible. It's just way too convicting. <laughs> Wow, the 9 o'clock hour, love that one. They all thought it was serious. 
That's the problem there. I'm joking. This is my personal Bible, and it's in here. <clears throat> uh, that is... <laughs> stick to the text, Daryl. Stick to the text. All right, well, having said that, how many of you guys would like to know that you are spiritually mature, that you're moving towards spiritual maturity? Spiritual maturity. Is that something that you, you want? That, the fact that you can live life in confidence and you want to be able to anticipate, man, when things happen in my life, God's working and He's got this. I'm thinking that's for all of us as followers of Christ that we would want to have that as true for our lives. For that to happen, we need to have a faith that works. And we need to be able to see, as we're going to look at today, that God's promises and that He Himself. We don't just face trials that come away, but there's a purpose behind it. The faith that walks when we hit trials is going to cause us to grow spiritually through them. So turn your Bibles to James chapter 1, if not there already. It's page 1207. We'll be using uh, the Bible there in the cheers. Uh, let's see what God has James tell us about this faith that walks. And as you do that, let me just fill you in on some of the background information. The author, of course, is James. Uh, but there's a bunch of James since it's in the New Testament. <clears throat> so this is the guy who was a leader in Jerusalem, but the cooler fact is that he's Jesus' half-brother. Um, Mark 3 tells us that Jesus' people came to get him because they thought that he had lost his senses. And so we assume that James was probably in that group of his people. So early on, he didn't have a, a, a relationship of faith in Christ, but then eventually he comes to Christ leaves the church in Jerusalem, but then he was killed for his faith in 62 AD. He wrote the letter in 48 AD, so 15 years after Jesus. Uh, interesting thing, the New Testament is uh, not in chronological order, neither is the Old Testament, but the New Testament is not in chronological order. Uh, so this was written in 48 AD, which was actually written before the Gospels. <clears throat> so this is not only written to Jewish Christians, but it's also very Jewish in its framework and how James writes this out. So he's writing to Jewish Christians who are living throughout Rome, the Roman Empire, um, who are just living life and struggling, which we'll talk about it towards the end of the message. They're just struggling with life. They're also having uh, receiving pushback for being Christians, not only Jewish authorities, but Roman authorities, of course, friends and family who are rejecting them as well. And so he writes this very practical, very challenging letter. So as I read through this, I want you to look for three points, three key points that we get from these first 11 verses. You see if you can kind of pull them out. It uh, starts out in verse 1, James 1, 1. James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes, again these Jewish Christians who are dispersed abroad, greetings. So he's not really big into having long, drawn out. It's just, uh, hey, it's James and hi. Uh, then he jumps right into it. <clears throat> he says, Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But, if anyone, any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives all generously without approach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting. <clears throat> if anybody is like scared by that first phrase there, you're not going to be scared at the end of the message. Okay, there's some good news coming out of this. Um, 
For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is the glory in his high position, and the rich man is the glory in his humiliation. Because like flower and grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and, and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. What was that? So, <clears throat> did you catch three big points that we can pull out of these 11 verses? Yeah, put your hand You're there. They're kind of long, so I would assume that you may not have grabbed them. But, spiritual maturity is developed through trials. The first point he wants us to grab hold of. Wisdom is given by God. So we'll, we'll get spiritual maturity from trials, but if we want wisdom, we got to get that from God. And a proper perspective comes from both, and I'll talk a little more about what I mean by proper perspective, because it has to do with our economic situations that we find ourselves in. So let's find out more about the spiritual maturity developed through trials. The first thing he says there is that uh, trials are going to happen. So again, this is, none of this is profound, okay? This is all kind of basic information, but really good reminders. Trials are going to happen. It's not if you encounter trials, it's when you encounter trials. We are going to face trials in our lives. If you're not currently going through one, you will be going through one. At one point or another, because we all go through trials. Now the word trials, the Greek word there, can mean one of two things. It can mean being tempted to sin, or it could be testing your faith. We know from verse 3 that this context is that it's a testing of our faith. And so trials that God allows into our lives are opportunities for us to, to show our faith in God, to evaluate our faith and, and where we are with God in heaven. Are we truly trusting Him or not? The second thing is that trials are various. Meaning... They'll come from all sorts of places. There'll be ones that you'll see coming. There'll be ones that are a surprise. There'll be health issues. There'll be relational issues. There'll be job issues. There'll be national issues. There'll be local issues. There'll be weather-related issues. Trials will come from all sorts of places. We're never really sure when the next trial is going to hit and how it's going to hit. But here's the awesome promise in all of that that trials bring spiritual maturity. The purpose of God allowing trials into our lives is for spiritual maturity. And he says, if you consider, consider it all joy. So if we do that, now, what does that mean? Well, consider has this idea of uh, engaging in an intellectual process. I actually have to read the definitions. I don't usually use big words. So, Engage in intellectual process. In other words, when we face trials, we need to think through things here. We need to take a, take a moment, take a breath, and we need to think. We need to think about what God says and what God's purposes is in, in this stuff. We need, to, we need to be thinking, working through it, and not being all emotional, emotionally responding to it. We're supposed to consider it all joy. Joy is this deep confidence in God, despite of what we might be feeling, because we're, we're human beings, we're going to have emotion. 
we're going to respond to our trials emotionally. But in spite of that, we have this deep confidence in God and His promises, what He tells us, how we need to respond, that He's got it. There's a purpose here. He's going to provide through it. So, so write this down. <clears throat> or take a picture of the screen or whatever. I want to get in the picture. But write these three words down. Evaluate, adjust, and respond. No alliteration, no cool. It's just three simple words. Evaluate, adjust, respond. So when we face trials, what God wants us to do is, first of all, evaluate, are we trusting in Him? Again, we can kind of tell by our emotional response whether we are or not. So are we, are, are we trusting in Christ? Secondly, we need to adjust our thinking so that we do trust in Christ. So we'll go and read something and realize, oh man, I am not facing this way God wants me to face, face it. And so now I need to adjust. I need to change the way I'm thinking. And then we need to respond as He commands. Again, whether we like it or not, whether we think it's a wise choice or not, we need to respond the way He then James goes on to say that the testing of our faith produces endurance. And that's how, again, we know why this, the word trials is speaking to our faith. So this, this gives us um, the understanding that these trials are going to test. They're, they're going to prove. They're, they're going to reveal to us and to others where we're at in our faith. And if we evaluate, if we adjust, if we respond, then what will happen is will gain endurance. Endurance just, just means the ability to hold up under pressure, right? It's, it's the, the dreaded P word. It's pat, yeah, patience or, or perseverance. Right, perseverance is better because it's kind of ongoing patience. We're hanging in there during this trial because we know we're going to gain from it what God wants us to gain from it. And we struggle with this as, as Christians, I think, sometimes, but when you think about this, you know, athletes do this all the time. Athletes who want to do their sport better and better, they put themselves under physical stress, physical test of endurance. They, uh, you know, these guys who run the marathon, they don't train at sea level, they go up into the mountains so they can pressure their body, so they can put their body through stress and trial. I mean, even back in the day, I would do that for no other reason than I just wanted to lift weights. It's kind of a big thing. So then I would put my body under stress, which I'm wishing I hadn't done that now because my joints are all shot, but I'd put it under stress just because I wanted to put it under stress because I just wanted to lift more weights. Now, again, kind of weird. But spiritual endurance actually increases our ability, this is kind of key, Spiritual endurance causes us to depend more and trust more on God to carry the stress and the challenges that we face so that we can excel in life. It's all about um, our focus on God, our trust in Him and what He's doing. That's what spiritual endurance is all about, and that which carries on. Because then endurance, when it continues to work in us, then we become perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Now, when he says perfect, he's not saying sinless. He's saying that we're going to become more and more spiritually mature. We're going to become more and more like Christ. In that sense, we're going to sin less and less. We'll, we'll never get to the point of being sinless. When we get to heaven, we'll be perfect, but we're going to continue to grow 
becoming more spiritually mature. Human maturity, when you think about it this way, so those of us who have raised kids and those of you who are currently raising kids or thinking about having kids and raising kids, the ultimate goal is to get them out of the house, right? Amen. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah, They'll come back, just saying. Um, but it's good, we always like to have them come back. Just have a separate refrigerator. Um, so, hidden where they can't find all your special food. Um, Iggy was over yesterday and so he, he was here at our house yesterday. He comes out at lunch. He's got this big old sandwich of eggs and bacon and turkey. And I'm like, is that for me? I mean, didn't even know we had bacon. Where did you find that? So that's what I had for dinner. But anyways, no, our goal is to, to raise our kids so that they become independent of us. And we say that a child who is independent of the parents has become mature. Right? That's, that's our goal. But that's not what spiritual maturity is. Spiritual maturity isn't not needing God more and more. Spiritual maturity is depending on God more and more. It's realizing as we go through trials, I really need God in this. And the longer that we've been saved, the longer that we've been a Christian, we should then have a deeper and deeper dependence on God. We'll know more and more how we really can't do life on our own. And by the way, we'll have a quicker response and obedience too, as we should. So spiritual maturity means that as we face trials, we're going to evaluate everyone that comes our way to see if I'm truly trusting God or am I not trusting Him. I'm going to adjust in my trust of Him if I'm realizing that I'm not. And then I'm going to respond as God commands. I'm going to do what He calls me to do, even if it doesn't seem like it's the wisest thing to do. And speaking of wisdom, so trials produces endurance, which produces spiritual maturity. It's just going to happen. If we, if we do this right, it's, it's going to happen to us. But if we need the wisdom to understand, the wisdom to understand why I may be going through this trial, the wisdom to understand am I really, truly trusting God here, whatever wisdom that we need, understanding that we need, that comes from God. Which is what he talks about next. Wisdom comes from God. The word wisdom. It's the ability to take what we learn about God and who God is from His Word and apply it to our lives. That's godly wisdom. That's the wisdom He's talking about here. Which means that inherent in the wisdom of God is the Word of God. So you can't have the wisdom of God if you're not in the Word of God. Somebody's going to probably come up here one of these days and just slap me and just say, will you stop talking about the fact that we need to be in the Word of God? Yeah. Well, we, I can't help it. Everything connected with God is in the Word of God. So we need to be in the Bible. We need to be reading it. We need to be studying it. We need to be spending time with Him in His Word. And as we do that, then we can look at what's going on in our lives and say, oh, this is what He says. Hmm, seems kind of weird, but I'm going to apply it here. And we're going to see God at work in that situation. <coughs> We're going to talk more about it in James. James starts contrasting heavenly wisdom from earthly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom realizes, okay, I'm going to grow from this situation, so I'm going to do whatever I need to do that God wants me to do in order to grow from it. Human wisdom typically is kind of selfish, and it causes us to be irritated and frustrated and angry and lashing out at people. So we don't use our wisdom. What we think we should do, we use God's wisdom, which again only comes from His Word. 
Then he says that God gives it generously without reproach to all who ask. Anyone. Anybody says, man, I want God's wisdom. God say, hey, it's yours. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you generously. Generously means single-heartedness. It's unconditional. You want it, you got it. It's all I'm offering it to you. And it's obvious because he's given us the Bible. So we have it with us all the time. He gives it without reproach. And he's not going to make fun of you for it. He's not going to get frustrated um, about it. He's not going to be like, oh, are you here again? Didn't you just come to ask me for wisdom last week? Can you just stop asking me? Stop. Like my, so when I was a kid, this didn't happen much because my parents were pretty strict. But like we'd go to the store, and I would want something. You know, a bouncy ball. You know, I was 15. Anyway, um, you know, I want that ball. I want that ball. Mom, can I have a ball? Can I have a ball? Can I have a ball? Mom, can I have a ball? Will you stop pestering me? That's what she would say. And then she'd be like, don't quit. I'm going to make it right here, right now. It's back in the day, you do that. So how do I? Like. Um, please, Pastor. Um, I digress. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't say, will you stop pestering me? He's like, it's all yours. I'm glad that you're asking. I want you to have it. Please ask more. And again, it incorporates God's word. So we need to be in it in order to receive it. Again, we're going to talk more about that because a lot of this is kind of beginning stuff that we're going to get a little more deeper into it. If you read through James, you'll see those weeks coming and you're going to be like, God, I definitely got to be at church that Sunday. Not going, that one's going to hurt. I'm going to stay home. Got to be here. Um, so then the next thing, like I said, kind of concerns people. This whole ask with faith, nothing dominant, right? So let me clarify some things here. Let me set your heart at ease. When it comes to faith, if you're humble enough to simply ask God for wisdom, that's faith enough. Because he doesn't give us a certain measurement of faith. He doesn't say you've got to have this kind of faith. You don't, it doesn't say you have to have a large sum of faith. If your faith is between this and this on the, the God level, I'll give it to you. He says you've got faith. Faith is simply going to God and saying, I need it. Humbly going to God with me complete sense when it goes up against nothing doubting, without any doubting. Now, if you're like me, we doubt all the time, right? Pray about something, I'm not really sure, I ask God for this, and I'm not really sure of wisdom, I'm just not really sure. We have this, you know, this doubting, the word is actually an intensive form of this word, and it means that you doubt to the point that you don't even ask. That, that you're going to go, okay, you know, I I really wish I had some understanding of what I need to do here. And I doubt this is going to make me worry about It's that. Doubting to the point that you don't ask. So if you have the humility to even ask, you have the faith necessary. But if you don't ask, if you doubt to the point that you're, you're unwilling to go to God, which there's a bigger issue of play there, especially if you're a follower of Christ, he says that you're going to be tossed to and fro like the, the, the a sea. When you're out in, that's why I don't go out into the big lake, I don't go out into the ocean. I don't like doing this. Well, people who, people who just won't ask God for what they need, they're going to be doing this. And they're going to wreck their lives. And he just says, 
You shouldn't even expect to get anything from God then, which makes sense. If you're not going to ask, you're not going to get. Okay. So then James takes this and he moves it into a very practical thing of our economic situation. And so our spiritual maturity in God's wisdom will give us proper perspective of where we're at financially, what, where, where we uh, are living at, maybe you want to say, in our financial situation. So whatever trials we face financially. Now, most first century Christians uh, were actually servants or slaves. So their economic situation was pretty slim. They didn't own anything. Um, they worked for somebody else. And, and what they needed was given to them by their, their owner, their, their master, the, the person they were serving. Some who came to Christ were wealthier people. Um, but we know from church history that a lot of them probably lost their business if they owned a business or they, they lost their finances and lost their job. Because when people placed their faith in Christ back then, unlike what we experienced here in the United States, when they came to faith in Christ, a lot of them felt the sting of it. Family members rejecting him, friends rejecting him, um, employers rejecting them. And so this is real stuff for the first century people. <clears throat> for us, we don't really identify with those of humble circumstances. Because even the most humble of circumstances here in the United States is rich compared to the rest of the world, is certainly rich compared to the first century Christians. But this idea of, of humble circumstances, it refers to not having as much as others. So some people may just have the perspective that they have humble circumstances because they want more than what they have. And, but it's humble circumstances. Now back then, again, these people were slaves and, and servants primarily, and so they, were, they had harder jobs. They worked harder. Their bodies broke down. Their health wasn't as good. Maybe somebody who had more money didn't have to push so hard on their job. They probably lacked the food, certainly the food they would have wanted. They had poor living conditions, again, poor health. So there's a lot of trials coming their way but they're to glory in their high position. It's kind of weird because they're not in a high position. They're in a very low position, socially speaking. But they're to glory. They're, they're to rejoice in it. They're to thank God for the situation that they're in financially. Their high position, what is that? Well, they're a child of God. And a child of God, what do we find throughout Scripture? A child of God is someone that God's going to provide for, He's going to protect, He's going to fight for. If we do life God's way, we see this throughout Scripture, do life God's way, and God's going to make sure you have what you need in order to do life His way. And so they can glory in that. They can know that, yeah, we may not have food today, um, but we can pray and God's going to make sure we have food. It may not be the steak that I want, but it's going to be some food there. It's going to sustain us. And what happens when a person lives that way? Now, as a person understands everything comes from God, and they keep going to God when their needs to be met, and God keeps meeting their needs, now they're trusting God more. They're more aware of His presence and His power in their life, and they're growing to spiritual maturity because they're trusting God that God's going to meet the need. And He's going to give them wisdom to know how to meet the need if it's not just something He, you know, out of thin air. Kim and I have experienced this several times in our lives where out of thin air, I'll put it that way, money shows up to pay for a bill or something happened in Nebraska all the time. We were missionaries, we didn't have a whole bunch of money. 
And uh, there was times where we didn't have enough for food. And the camp wasn't running any kind of retreat or anything, and we couldn't get into the, you know, they had the padlock. No, they didn't. They didn't food in the camp because we weren't having the camp. And I remember one time where she's like, hey, we need food and we need gas. And I said, well, we have enough gas to get down to the, the mailbox, and let's just see. God knows. And so we drove down to this back when gas was cheaper. We had a small car. Got down to 20 bucks. And so we were able to put 10 bucks of gas, get into town, get 10 bucks of food, come back in, sustain us for the rest of the week until another camp came in and we could eat with the camp food. You know, other times, Kim and I are just like, financially speaking, hey, we got bills to pay. And so it becomes a kind of a wisdom thing. How do we best pay for this situation? Um, well, let's, you know, maybe we need to get rid of this. And we don't need to be having that anymore. And so we get rid of that. Um, like for us, we don't have cable because we don't want to put that money towards cable. So we have farmer vision and we have to move the antenna around depending on the weather. But again, for, so for financial reasons, you have to sometimes have wisdom to make decisions. God has to give you that wisdom and ability to do that. But ultimately, they grow, you grow um, in your spiritual maturity, trusting God. Now again, most of us don't understand the whole humble circumstances. We're more like the rich man. There's a debate whether this is a rich Christian or a rich non-Christian. Uh, I believe it's, he's talking about a rich Christian, a person who's wealthy, a person who has more than most would have. And so God has James speak into their life because back then, wealthy people, like I said, didn't necessarily keep their wealth. They didn't have the job they would be taking from them, so they didn't have the finances coming in that they once had. And so, he, this person, this family, if they were to lose their money, lose their finances, what they were used to living on, they were to glory in their humiliation. Humiliation is the verb form of humble circumstances. And what he's saying there, because he talks about the, the sun scorching and all kinds of stuff, that they were, they came to Christ, they needed to realize they were going to probably lose their financial setting. They're going to probably lose what they used to bring in every week. And when they were humiliated, when they, when they became one from a wealthy Christian to one of humble circumstances, they were still to rejoice in that. They were still to thank God for that. They were still to go, be like, man, thank you for doing it, God, because now I may have been, you know, they're evaluating, I may have been trusting in my money and my possessions. But now I know I need to trust you. I need to pray and ask you to meet my needs, my financial needs, my physical needs. And then when God does that, now they become more aware of his activity in their lives. And they trust him more. And they begin to grow spiritually. And so sometimes God's going to allow that into our lives. Where we're going to start getting, life's going to get tough, finances are going to get tough. I mean, gas prices are going up, food prices are going up, lumber prices are going up. We're going to need wisdom to know how to operate in that. But all of it is for God, for us to turn to God and say, hey, I ask you to, to meet our needs, and then He does that. And He gives us the wisdom to know how to operate in that. Well, if the band comes up to close, we like to close each week with uh, some takeaways. And so the first one is, what's your response to trials? 
Do you, do you respond to trials emotionally? Do you get all worked up and angry and frustrated and take it out on people and you know, just all wrapped up emotionally? Or are you evaluating? Are you taking the opportunity to prayerfully ask God to evaluate how am I doing? God, am I trusting you in this? And where you're not trusting him, are you making the adjustments to trust him? Are you responding to his commands? Secondly, whose wisdom are you using to respond to your trials? Again, how you respond will kind of give you an idea of which wisdom you're using. If you're using yours, if I'm using mine, I'm going to be worked up, I'm going to be irritated. But if I'm using God's, I'm going to be evaluating, I'm going to be adjusting, I'm going to be responding. But it takes me being in His Word, knowing what His Word says, and applying it to my situation. And the last one is this. How you respond to your trials will show what level of faith, how you're doing in your spiritual maturity. Where are you along that spiritual walk that God wants you? So trials are a good thing. Trials, not that we go, hey, God, give me another trial. No, but when we face them, it means he's letting them into our lives in order for us to grow through those by coming to him, asking him to help us, by giving us the wisdom to know how to respond. And in that, we grow spiritually. It's another one of those things that helps us to grow in our walk with him. Good pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning. And Thank you so much for the book of James. It's so practical, so good. Um, and yet in that, Lord, at times it becomes um, irritating, it becomes convicting. So Lord, I pray that as we read through it during the week, as we look at it each Sunday, that you would, um, in your gracious and loving way, convict us, encourage us, challenge us, and help us to move forward in our spiritual maturity, that we have faith that walks Monday through Sunday. Thank you.